mastermind groups have been going on for decades, but mostly for men. Men have been using masterminds to up-level their lives and business so they could get ahead faster. I started the Warrior Women Mastermind as a safe space for women to connect, share, and learn together. It's an incredible, one-of-a-kind experience led by me with a curated group of women I hand-select for you. Here's what some of the women are saying about being in the mastermind. Cindy writes, The mastermind group has given me a sense of connection with other women who share similar life experiences and challenges and are on their way to breaking through any perceived limitations holding them back. It's a beautiful and powerful process to share with such amazing women. I feel the powerhouse warrior women within me being nurtured and ignited into life. Leah says, I didn't know what to expect from the mastermind and it has exceeded every expectation that I had when I signed up. The group of women she has pulled together for me is amazing, supportive, and already I feel like we've connected with long lost friends. The waitlist for the Warrior Women Mastermind is open. The next mastermind groups will be launching in the fall. Go to lizswadek.com and sign up. That's L-I-Z-S-V-A-T-E-K.com. Sign up for the waitlist. Explore what's next for you with a group of powerhouse women who will become friends for life. Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Welcome back, warriors. Well, when I had Dana Kaplan on my podcast in an episode entitled The Kids Are Not Okay, which is episode 88, I had no idea how much people would resonate with her message. I decided to do a part two of this episode, but this time with a panel of experts. So Dana Kaplan, educational coach for kids who are out of the box learners, is back with us again, as well as Jen Rafferty, founder of The Empowered Educator, giving teachers support, Stacy McFarland, founder of The Soul Studio, a coach for women who want to dig deep, Sarah Gallagher, learning specialist and founder of Rise Up, a workshop series empowering teens to break through fear, and Suzanne McClure, head of the Muse Global School in Calabasas, a passion-based, project-based school that empowers teachers and students. We are all talking about what it is going to take to support teachers in this time of burnout and the great teacher resignation and support kids and parents with compassion. One thing everyone mentioned in this episode is that we are not listening to our kids or our teachers. We need to slow down, be open, to hear what they have to say. The truth is it starts with the parents and the teachers. We have to disrupt the current models of high performance, zero emotional intelligence education and parenting and shift into a new paradigm of growth and learning. This is an incredible conversation that you will never forget. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, leave us a five-star written review and share it with a friend, why don't you? 
All right, let's get into it. But first, ladies, money is not a dirty word. It's a great word. And I'm thrilled to tell you that the Broad Network is launching the Wealthy Women Summit, or WeWo. The WeWo Summit is not your typical conference with lanyards and cold coffee. Hosted by the Broad Network on August 25th and 26th, 2022, on the Sir Winston Yacht in Long Beach, the Wealthy Women's Summit is for anyone looking to expand their wealth in mind, body, health, leadership, business, and community. Join us for two impactful days where we'll dive into the concept that wealthy living is a mindset and commitment to a value of your own self-worth. You can learn more and get tickets at wewosummit.com. That's W-E-W-O summit.com. Let's talk about money and let's be wealthy women together. Dana, you're back, you're back and on this amazing panel of women. But Dana, you know, our first podcast, The Kids Are Not Okay, got people talking and is already moving into the top 20 Cutting through the podcast like a hot knife through butter. Uh, <laughs> what do you think resonated with people so much in our Kids Are Not Okay podcast? I love this question. I love you. And I'm just going to cut to the chase. Do we're it. not listening to kids. As I shared in the first podcast, if we were intended to be in a box, the uterus would have been a box, you guys. But it wasn't. And it was squishy, mushy, and malleable for all of us to grow and expand and be in the spaces that make sense for us and that feel good in our body and that allow us to authentically show up. And we're not paying attention. We're just not paying attention. We are so quick to answer for them. We're so quick to anticipate the negative instead of creating a space for opportunities of kindness and compassion and curiosity. And I know that we're all trying to figure out life and navigating and all the different components. But at the end of the day, this is the youth's life right now. Like we had the opportunity to be in the fifth grade, the ninth grade, the 12th grade in college. They haven't. And they were also robbed of a lot of time. You know, this pandemic has really hit them hard. And now where the majority of the states have gone, you know, mass optional, children are now having to like, wait, you smiled? Not what I thought in my head. Like now, how do I even like communicate with you? Right. And so there's so many layers of emotional needs that are not being met and social needs that are not being met. And then the pressures compounding from the parents and the pressures compounding from the teachers looking for the validation. And everyone's still seeking out the external validations when we must create a safe space for children to get curious and to ask the uncomfortable questions. We are not, we are not at all listening to the children. To the youth, the 25-year-olds, it doesn't matter. And I say that because, look, not for anything. I mean, I've gone through my own transition this year with my parents, and I'm their child still, right? I had to lean in and get curious with my parents. I had to lean in and give them space. Even as I say it, my throat's on fire. Mm -hmm. I didn't give them the opportunity to even listen to me because I was so quick to think they were going to judge me. So if here it is, I'm a 44-year-old adult that thinks she's 16 more often than not, but like, let's call a state a state. If I'm sitting here and I feel that way, judgment, criticism, pull, what are the actual kids thinking? What are the actual kids feeling? And what are we doing about it? 
What are we doing about it? Well, I, I've got Jen Rafferty on here. Jen, we recently did a podcast that went deep into teacher burnout. But what we realized is that, and this is what we came to, and it was actually like scary when we came to it. What we recently did a podcast, we went deep into teacher burnout. But what we realized is that burnt out teachers and parents are exhausted and overdoing things. And so they are teaching our children how to burn themselves out as well. We are teaching the children burnout. Can you speak, Jen, to what you feel like is going on right now? Well, I think it ties into what Dana was saying is that everyone is looking for external validation of safety. And in doing that, we are suppressing and repressing our own emotional cycles were our own emotions period and we're not allowing space to feel the things because we have this internalized societal pressure that we need to push through and carry on and so the adults in schools the adults who are parents are not giving themselves the space to feel and to provide a sense of safety internally so they can hold space for their kids. So, you know, we might say social emotional learning is really important and we might buy these pretty packaged programs for school districts that are also really expensive, but they're not going to work if we're not actually taking the time to focus on the social emotional needs of the adults in these spaces, because we can't, there can't be alignment of what we say and what we do if we're not actually doing the work ourselves. So the work that I do focuses on the adults, making sure that they have tools and skills to take care of themselves so they have something to give to the kids. We are all pouring from empty vessels. And if we're all just running around feeling exhausted and overwhelmed and frustrated, then that is the message that we're sending to kids. Absolutely. And to Dana's point, how are you going to listen? How we don't are you to going to listen to a child when you feel like you're not being heard or seen or validated, or you're so exhausted that you're just trying to just get through the day. So what you're trying to do is just have your kids say as little as possible, please don't talk. I can barely breathe myself. Thank you so much. So that makes complete and total sense as to why we're not listening to the kids. And Stacy, I saw you hand on heart when, when we were talking about not listening to kids. What was resonating with you there when you heard Dana say, we're not listening to kids? Well, I'm a mama of a 31-year-old adult who struggled in school because he was diagnosed with ADHD. And it just brought back so many conversations that I would have with him as the school system was trying to shove him in a box. And I was too, so that that was a peaceful thing. Or, you know, so school was more enjoyable. If he would just do this, this or this, then he would fit in and then he would have more friends and be more socially accepted. And it just really hurts my heart. And I would do so many things differently. Yeah. Well, we're going to come back to you because I want to hear more about that. But I also have Suzanne on this call, Suzanne McClure, who has been the saving grace of my family. I could get emotional thinking about it right now, Suzanne, because Landon was struggling. And just like Stacey said, I was trying to put him in a box because I thought that was better for him. I thought, oh my God, get in the box, Landon. It's, you're going to get attacked if you get outside the box. If you're a kid that cares so much about other people, and if you're a kid that learns differently, oh my God, the world's going to chew and spit you out. I just didn't even think there was another option. And then when I saw what you were doing at Muse, and I'm so glad you're on here today, and I met the kids at Muse, and I met you, and you just looked at me dead in the eye, and you said, if Landon is who you say he is, he belongs here. And that was just like, what? Oh! It was just like the relief, I like, oh my God, he belongs somewhere? 
let's just start there. My child belongs somewhere. My child that I don't know where he belongs. So that is, so God bless you, Suzanne. But let's, Suzanne, one of the problems and the reasons the kids are not okay is because they aren't being listened to, just like Dana said. Can you tell us about the process communications model and how it, you use it at the Muse School to give parents and teachers and kids a different experience in education and in life, frankly, Suzanne, in life? Yeah, thank you. Landon does belong. And this is emotional for me as well, because I am a person who receives and hears the stories of so many families as I meet, you know, incredible people touring and teaching and sharing about Muse. The process communication model is one of the five pillars of Muse. And it's one, as Jen was saying, um, the social emotional pillars. That's how I sort of convey it. But it goes so much deeper than that. And I say that because this is not, these aren't standalone. These five pillars work together. And when one is out of balance, it, everything's off balance. So the goal is time and space for kids to get to know themselves as humans and as learners. So we start, as you were just saying, Jen, with the teachers and the staff. We are all trained. We have four trainers at News of this model. Then we train our teachers multiple times a year in the course and refresher courses. So we are, as an adult community, learning about ourselves, what motivates us, what's our distress patterns, how are we managing that, how are we understanding um, our own behaviors to then be able to observe what's happening with our students. So we're first taking care of the adults. And then we bring tools of this communication model to the students. We've broken down the model by age-appropriate, grade-appropriate standards, and the kids are taught elements of the tool. How do they like to learn? Where do they like to be? How do they like to talk to people? What do they observe of the adults around them in communication so that when distress happens, when conflict happens, how do they manage it? How does that work when it's a parent? How does it work when it's a friend? How does it work when it's a teacher? So the idea is with everyone understanding this bigger language, and of course we offer trainings to all of our parents as well, there's this universal language at Muse where everyone begins to identify and break themselves down. And where are the differences? Where are the similarities? So that there's a sense of potency and honoring of that which might look like a weakness. Perhaps that weakness is one of the greatest gifts that that child has. And if fine-tuned and really listened to, the voice and the choice of each kid is so important. If we don't take time to listen to it, we don't, we don't really know what's happening. We're just you know, pushing out uh, data, information, text, content, kids are regurgitating it back and getting letter grades. Is that creating a whole child? Is that developing or pulling out that which is in a whole child? It's not. So for us, there has to be time and space. When there is conflict at news, we stop. We stop. If there is distress, if there is someone upset, we stop. And that means, does the whole class address it? 
does that child come to me? Does that child go with their advisor? Do I get mom on the phone? Do I call dad? There's, it has to be supported as it's happening, which we are blessed in at the Muse community to be able to do that. Not every school system can do it. And however, it's possible, it's important, it must be prioritized. What, what blows my mind about Muse in general is, and I've gone there, I've spoken, I've met the kids, is how much conversation there is. I, I think forever Landon was told, be quiet, sit in your seat, the teacher's talking, raise your hand, sit back down. So to be at a school where the, one of the first weeks, his English teacher said, oh my gosh, Landon has such amazing feedback. And he, you know, the only thing we just got to work on that he doesn't just like, you know, blurt it out that we, we got and talk over someone else. And I'm thinking that boy didn't talk for three years at his other school. He didn't even feel comfortable enough to have an opinion. And here he is at Muse and they're taking something which another school could say, oh, impulsive, talking all the time. God, shut this kid up. And you're making it into one of his greatest strengths, which P.S. it is. So this, that is why this kind of model works. Dana, what about what Suzanne was saying? Dana's like, I'm going to this school myself. I'm enrolling. Oh, I'm going to die. Yeah. So Dana, what, was, what about what <laughs> Suzanne was saying? Making you turn into a dolphin. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, Suzanne, I just, I read about your school. I knew about it pre-Landon going there. I've had the privilege of, of speaking to a teacher already there that is supporting me. and. My vision, the more, and, and this is like, I used to think that I was delusional. I used to think that I was such a dreamer that such a plan couldn't happen, that I was such an outsider, right? My whole sense of belonging. Like, I actually thought I didn't belong until two years ago until I went and like went to this event and was told belonging is like your birthright. And I was like, wait, what? Like, you, like, to create a space where you walk in and it's so inclusive and it's so accessible that equity is just everywhere, right? It's just, it's equitable for everyone. That belonging is just innate, you know? And it's like, it's that dream of mine and to hear it in action and to see it in action from only through videos and from, you know, FaceTime, right? and I've never even stepped foot on your campus and to know that it actually exists gives me so much hope and joy that my vision for the collective can have this because I don't do excuses and I don't do band-aids. And I know that we can do what you're describing and mass groups. I know we can because I did it in my classroom of 25 kids and had an influx of additional 10 kids floating through my classroom every day in kindergarten. So it's not that my way is the highway or that I'm some, you know, martyr. I, I just know that we can create a space where kids actually thrive and they believe that they belong. They feel, they embody their belonging. And I just, I am so grateful that Landon and all of the kids that are at your school are attending and that you've created the space for them. And the teachers, they're happy and they're joyful and they're excited to share and that's the piece. It's a collective desire. Absolutely. And Jen, what, were, what was your thought? I saw your hand on your heart. And Sarah, I'm coming to you next. I think that, you know, and we touched on this too, Liz, when I spoke with you earlier, you know, the schools as we know them right now were created during the Industrial Revolution in a time that just simply doesn't exist anymore. 
we don't live in that world anymore. And so the current way that we do things perpetuates this old paradigm. And until we stop, which is, you know, what I really thought would happen during the pandemic, I'm always wearing these rose colored glasses. And I was like, don't worry, guys, we're going to figure this out here. There's a crisis. We have to figure this out. And we just, they just didn't. It was just business as usual with masks sometimes. And to me, that was a real missed opportunity because we had this break and it allowed people, some people in pockets to really rethink and reimagine how do we do this better? How can we serve our kids better and actually create an environment that reflects our values as they are now, not a hundred years ago? Absolutely. Stacey, I know you wish you had sent your kids to a school like Muse. I know, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I told you I was trying to put my son in a box too. So please, this is a no shame and no judgment podcast. Have I mentioned that? But your boys are older now and you mentioned you would do things differently. So tell me, looking back, what would you do differently now? Because there are parents listening now who are, you know, trying to force their kids in a box and maybe they don't have a school like Muse in their backyard. Like, what are your thoughts? I would definitely listen to my child more instead of trying to just take whatever the teacher was saying. And I understand she was trying to have a classroom and teach all of these children, but I would have listened to him more and really figured out a way that he, he just learns differently. He just learned not see there. I I did it. It's not differently. He learns his way and not all children learn exactly the same way. And the interesting thing, my boys are very different. So Logan is the oldest and he was diagnosed with the ADHD and Jared is my youngest. He was four and a half years younger and he followed the rules, very much a rule follower. And he fit in that box and he was comfortable in the box. He was not trying to get out of the box. So I was dealing with two very different children and that's what happens. People think they should be exactly the same. So I would go back and not maybe compare them as much as I did, you know, like He's doing it this way. Encourage Logan, just like you did with Landon, because I thought the world was going to chew him up and spit him out if he did not fit into this box. I would just really listen to him and find another way for him to learn because he's very bright in the end. He did really well in school, but socially and emotionally, he's still dealing with it. He's still peeling back the layers and sorting through of being the kid that did not fit in. And that is very painful as a mom. And when you were saying you found a place that Landon actually belonged, that's all we want as mamas, you know, just for our children to be loved and accepted and to be seen for the beautiful people that they are. Absolutely. And I think that part that you and I both share about the chewing up and spitting out, that's our fear right? That's what that is. Because truthfully, it's not about the world chewing them up and spitting them out. It's about realizing that this kid is an asset, that you are the asset, right? And so if it's not working at the school your kid is at, the way to look at that is rather than, oh my God, I got to push him harder towards the thing that's not working. It's about looking for something different, thinking about how you could bring in another resource or change the school or Right. But looking at it, not as he's the problem, but he's the asset. And we're just going to investigate, be on a discovery mission for what that could look like. Right. Versus, oh, my God, the world's going to chew you up and spit you out. Right. 
acceptance, I think, right? Acceptance. You just want people to accept your child and see your child for the beautiful soul that they are. That reminds me of like when he used to start school, I went out and got this label maker and these different folders for all his classes and all this and was like, I'm going to help you get organized. This is going to be such, you know, I would have listened to him more on how he handles things. And he was a kid who stuffed everything in one folder for fear he would forget if it was in a different folder. Like I had all these ideas and that just made it worse because I needed to listen to him and I needed to say, Logan, what works for you? And I will support that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sarah, I saw you nodding your head. Sarah has some, not only do you handle kids that learn in a different way, but you also have kids that learn in a different way. So they're living in your actual house, Sarah. So tell me what's resonating with uh, what Stacey said. Absolutely. So I have two boys. My oldest is 15. And while he struggled with education for the majority of his life, he was able just to fly right under the radar for his whole education and just get to where he needed to be. Now, my other son, Jacob, he's in sixth grade and he has been struggling with dyslexia and ADHD forever. And we are currently looking for a school that is non-traditional for him. So it gives me so much hope and reassurance to hear about Landon School because I've been looking and I didn't know that it was out there. But the most interesting thing when we're having these conversations is that two things. One, as his mother. So my boys go to the same school that I went to. And so for me, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm breaking up this whole legacy of this relationship where my parents went to this school, then my nieces and nephews and my cousins and all of my best friends and their whole family, you know, so everybody goes there and all of a sudden I'm at my son's, you know, his last basketball game yesterday. And I'm like in tears going, oh my gosh, this is his last basketball game. And now he's going to be moving to this different school. And so I think it's also, it's think when we're parents and thinking about change, it's a change for us a lot of times. And it's to get over that hurdle. But It's also, as Stacy was saying, it's about listening to the child and having these conversations with them because Jacob has been telling me, I'm ready. I am ready for something new. And I was the one that was resisting it. And I was like, no, 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 no. You're fine. You're fine. We'll figure it out. But I really had to turn in and listen and say, you're right. You're right. We are, we need a different school for a different approach, something that's non-traditional where you're not sitting there, you know, just getting lectured where it's hands-on and it's a whole child approach. And you're going to learn so much more and you're not going to look back and go, why did I learn this about math? What was the point of this? And why was I spending all this time? But you're going to just know, like I got to do all of these amazing things and this is who I am. And even more than anything, I got to be who I am and be proud of it and not hide and not be embarrassed. I get, I, and I know I'm amazing because of who I am. Absolutely. I mean, Landon toured Muse. I did not tell him other than, Hey, why don't you go check it out? Meanwhile, Suzanne had told me, you know, he can come now in the middle of the year, in the middle of January, we will take Landon. I did not tell him this, of course, because I thought, you know, one step at a time, let's see if he likes it. He comes home after the first day. I say, how was it? He said, amazing. Great. I want to go here. I said, oh, that's so great. He said, they said I could come here this week. I mean, it was hilarious. So like, talk about, you know, us being dragging our feet to the change. And here's our kids like, I'm going, see you later. You know, so we got to get on board. That's for sure. But Sarah, you know, to the fear point, right? To the parents being in fear, you've been going into schools, doing workshops, teaching kids how to self-regulate. 
and how to move through fear. What has been the response? What have you seen with these kids? Because the parents are in fear. So of course, these kids have got to be in fear too. Yeah, pretty much. And honestly, I didn't really learn about using fear as my ally until I was like this day, two days ago. Years uh, old. Yeah, exactly. 42 years old. And now that I know that fear is not something to be feared, it's not the enemy that I need to use it as my compass, as my roadmap and blueprint. I am on a mission to share this with all of the kids, the students, because I don't want a day to go by where they are missing missed opportunities because they're letting fear win or conquer them. So essentially what's happening is that I kind of go into a little sciencey or like a biological aspect and let them know, like, you know, we have these brains and they're called lizard brains and we're wired for survival. And it's only job is to keep us safe by keeping us alive. But honestly, our brains, there's a huge problem with the way that they operate. And oftentimes our brain doesn't know what is real danger versus fear that can actually support and develop our growth and expansion. And so what happens is when we feel or we're entering outside of our, our comfort zone, that lizard brain or our amygdala, it just avoids everything new and it stops doing anything and it keeps you safe in the same and all of your dreams are living right outside because you're not going for it. And so it's talking about when we're working with fear that we never try to conquer it. What we do is we actually need to meet it. And whenever our fear arises, what happens is that we know that we're being bold and we're being brave and powerful and we're onto something and we should definitely do the thing our lizard brain is telling us not to do, do the opposite of it and slowly calm our nervous system down by breathing, do some visualization techniques, and then go do the thing that you wanted to do, the thing that your goals are, you've accomplished those things. And you, it's just, it's such an amazing thing. And so what I've actually heard, again, like as parents and teachers and educators, having these conversations with kids, they love to be heard. They love to talk. And they just divulge all of this information about like, Oh yeah. So my parents wanted me to go try out for the soccer team, but I didn't think I was going to make it. So I completely self-sabotaged myself and I just really stood there the whole time. But guess what? This little, this girl that was telling me this, she made the team anyways. And then she ended up being really great, but she initially let her fear win. Right. And there's so many examples of this. So many times where there's missed opportunities because we are afraid and we don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to calm down our nervous system. We don't need know how to take down the next approach because people aren't talking about it all the time. Until, like I said, I'm like 42 years old going, oh, wait, huh? Yeah. I need to embrace and dance with my fear. Oh, OK. Now I got it. All right. OK. Now I got this. Yeah. And that's a fascinating thing, because I think as parents, sometimes we just assume that the kids don't want to do something. But sometimes it, there's a bigger reason, you know, like Landon had mentioned to me many times, he doesn't want to go to a concert. And then the one of his therapists said to him, what do you wish you could do that you, that you feel like you can't because you're too you have too much fear? And he said, go to a concert. This whole time, I thought he just didn't like concerts like he didn't want to go. In reality, he was having so much fear and anxiety around it. And then this therapist was so kind to him because she was saying, well, we're going to work through that. We're going to figure out a way we can actually get you to a concert. So it's also about like, you mean I recognize in your child that they're actually are fearful about something versus they just, oh, I don't want to do that. It's like, hmm, do you? Maybe you don't. 
I want to ask a question to all you bright minds. I hear these bright ladies in the room. What do you think parents need to do to help kids the most right now? If you could kind of pinpoint something, I'm going to start with Suzanne because you obviously meet with a lot of parents and I know this is a huge, open-ended, very large question. But if, if you just had to pick some things that parents could do to help kids kind of meet them where they are right now, what would you say? would say slow down. I have a 16 year old. So I say this because this is the advice that I have to give myself as like a woman who moves at a really fast pace every day. If I breathe and slow down, then I'm present. And then I can like every, my senses start to just pick up on what's happening. I'm just more keenly aware of what is going on. And if I can do that, when I show up for my students, And if I can do that when I show up for my own daughter, uh, then I can listen. And I think it's subtle. I think that the way in which our children are maneuvering in this crazy world that we're living in, it's not always in your face where they need support. And if we get quiet and we listen and we slow down, we can pick up on these subtleties And we can make time and space to have these, as we were talking about, uncomfortable conversations, things that scare them, give them a little bit of support on all sides, back, sides, front, like give them that support. Because if we slow down, we can make time to email the teacher. We can make time to talk to the best friend's mom, to share what that kid might be holding. I think the biggest thing in these last couple of years is the kids are holding a lot inside because they see the adults holding a lot and then they're holding a lot and they don't know what to do with all that. So if we slow down and we listen, they can share, they, they will share, like get in the car, go for that two hour drive. Cause I'm telling you that kid is going to open up, put on the music and all of a sudden they start talking, just shut up and listen. Yeah. Don't give advice right away. Don't. And I say this because I have to remind myself all the time, just shut up and listen to her, Suzanne. Let her talk. Yeah. It's so true. Slow down and listen. These are the literally, if you take nothing else away from this day, slow down and listen. Jen, what would you say that we need to do as parents right now to help these kids? I think in addition to what Suzanne said, because I think that's spot on, we also need to give ourselves as the adults a lot of self-compassion and get rid of the guilt, the mom guilt. That's something that I certainly have experienced a lot the last two years and had to come to terms with, particularly, you know, being, I decided to stay home with my own kids during the pandemic. And I'm still grieving that time that I perceive as lost time in some way that I'm coming to terms and reconciling with. And so giving myself grace in those moments where I feel like I'm not doing enough or I should be doing something else and reminding myself that there is no should and there is no enough. I get to decide what's enough, but purposely slowing down enough to recognize I'm feeling that way, Suzanne, (laughs) and then allowing myself the space to feel that self-compassion and grace. 100%. Stacy, I'm coming to you next. What would you say that parents need to do to help kids right now? I know your kids are older, but you're still a mom. Absolutely. And I love what has been shared. I need to say that. And my heart is exploding that there's going to be hope for these children and things are going to be different. So yay, yay to everyone on this podcast for that. It would listen, just listen to them and trust that they know 
listen to them, let them have a voice and make, have a part of the decisions that involve them that, you know, we are making big decisions for them and they need to have a voice in that and these decisions that affect them. And they know, you know, and we're starting to teach our children, thanks to beautiful souls like you guys, to create safety in their system and to trust themselves. And we need to keep encouraging that so that they can make beautiful decisions for themselves and then support them, support them in those decisions. Absolutely. And I think you're so right. And I think it's scary sometimes when we give our kids a voice, right, Dana? Dana and I always talk about like, oh my gosh, these parents are just afraid sometimes of their own kids because they're like, oh my God, if I ask their opinion on this thing, I don't know if I can ever rein it back in, you know? But it is true. They do need a voice. So Dana, what do you think right now we need, what parents need to do most right now to help kids? I, I think it's a combination of, I think it's a collective of what Jen said first, the parents giving themselves self-compassion. I think we're so quick to judge. And if we can release the self-judgment, and teach releasing self-judgment, teaching self-compassion. What does that look like, sound like, feel like for every human? Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different. We can then actually listen, right? Because we, we're showing up curiously. And if we can show up curiously, we release all of that extra around. I think at the end of the day, it's really important that we have these uncomfortable conversations. Like in Jen's space, like, have the conversation with your kids and let them know that you are sad. Let them know that you were disappointed. Let them know that things did not go the way you thought they would go. You know, having those honest, open, vulnerable conversations allows a language to be created in your household that wasn't there before. And then me being who I am because I'm obsessed with, I'm not a techie person, but I'm obsessed with word hippo. And then you get to like come up with like this whole laundry list of other words that go along with sad, right? You get to come up with this like family language. And then to Suzanne's point, like if we actually listen, the parent can then say, you know what? I have to share something with you. I experienced something so similar to you as a child, but I think I blocked it out because I didn't want to remember it. And because I didn't want to remember it, I'm being so much harder on you to do X, maybe play basketball, play the piano, be in the spelling bee, because I couldn't do it. And Stace, if to your point, give yourself love and compassion, because I've seen your granddaughter and she is one lucky little trooper to have you. And Sarah, your kids are so fortunate because it may take us a little bit longer to catch up, but if we honestly will stop judging who we are and stop trying to keep up with everyone else and really pay attention to what's in front of us, like Jen pointed out, for me, the pandemic was a time where you really was intended to create your new normalcy, your personal new normalcy. It was not, it, like, I firmly believe the universe is telling us like it is your time to break systemic and societal pressures and barriers and all of those. And now we get to do it. So do it. Sit down with your kids on Saturday morning, cancel all the games, make their favorite breakfast, have ice cream. Who cares? Do it yeah. and ask them, what do you want? What do you need? Yeah. What do you need from me? And then you also as parents get to say, I need this from you because you matter just as much. 
There's no competition going on here. It's everyone's inclusive in the arena. Well said. And parents living their dreams to their kids, we know that that's really hard too, because we do. We have memories of things. We want to do it different. We want them to have a better experience than we did, but sometimes they don't even want to have that experience. So it's, it, you know, it's very loaded. You've got to kind of sort out your own things. Sarah, what, how do you, do you want to chime in on this one too? What sure. do these kids need? Uh, well, I think Dana really wrapped that all nicely up in a beautiful package. So I would say similar. I feel like slowing down and taking, you know, even if it's 10 minutes every day at the beginning, middle or end of the day, just to have a stress-free conversation or interaction, whether it be like listening to an audiobook or just taking a quick walk, just something to like reconnect where it's not, there's no stress involved or no pressure involved. The other thing I'm really working on as a parent is to apologize when I do something or act a certain way and to remind them and myself that I'm a human. You guys didn't come with a rule book. I'm learning this for the very first time and I'm going to mess up just as you are all going to mess up. And there's going to be times that I'm going to need forgiveness from you. And there's going to be time when you need forgiveness from me, but making mistakes, not a bad thing. It's okay to make mistakes and it is okay to be sorry. And it's okay to come back and have to redo it again. I think it's really important for kids to know that we don't think that we're perfect and we don't have all the answers either, but we'll ju- we'll go and do our best and we're going to try and figure it out in the end. Yeah. That's a paradigm shift, right? I'm sure all of our parents spent a lot of time apologizing to us. Yeah. <laughs> funny, funny. Suzanne's <laughs> laughing. Yeah. Suzanne's laughing. Uh, Suzanne, I'm coming to you next. What changes do schools need to make? I mean, you can even speak to your own school if you think changes need to be made, but I'm just thinking about the larger educational system as a whole, because should people have to go to a private school like Muse to get some of the things that you're doing? Like, can't we bring some of tenets and things into public schools? Because I feel like, you know, we've already gone past the point we were in trouble before, truthfully. We were in big trouble before. Now we're in big, big trouble. Now we're in big, big trouble because now we're, you know, we've gone through a pandemic. What changes do schools need to make? I think it starts with the adults. We have to, as Jen was saying, we have to look at professional development for teachers in a, through a whole new lens. We have to, I say that word disrupt because this old model that all of us have just talked about in some fashion, whether it's the old model of education or parent or parenting style, we have to disrupt it. We have to blow it up and it's going to get really ugly before it gets better. I'll say it this, I'll say this because I've been at Muse for 10 years and this is not an easy road. It's not easy for parents to buy what we're selling it when it doesn't have sort of the labels and well, what colleges have kids gotten into? And it becomes about what's on the paper more than what what is happening, the quality of and the depth of work and what's happening between teachers and students and student to student, it's got to be blown up. People have to get away from the model of like what's on the paper defines who this kid is. And colleges are starting to do it. They're doing away with SAT, ACT. They're accepting students based on writing instead of transcripts. It's happening in higher education. It's starting to happen little by little. If we continue to just regurgitate the same biology curriculum that came out in 1975, how is this expanding when the world, this globe that we're living on is changing every single day? We've got to disrupt curriculum. We've got to break it all apart and find new ways. So that, and that's scary. 
So I always feel like it goes back to PD of teachers and infiltrating like the larger elements of school districts and to start breaking them down and, and add in trainings and things that teachers have not ever thought about, or they didn't learn when they were in college in 1990, you know? Right. Right. I love, I, this is getting me so excited. Like I've never been more hot and bothered by the word disrupt. I'm like, yes, that's disrupt. I got to get excited. Over here. Jen Rafferty's over there too. I see her writing things down. Jen, what do you, what do you think needs to be done in these schools? Well, well, that's, you know, what I'm doing now, Suzanne. And I, I love that that's how you're describing it because I think that there are two entry points here. One is professional development, and, and then the other is higher education for these pre-service programs for teachers because the collegiate level is also where we're perpetuating that this is how you teach. And then at the same time, there's logistics of funding, right? And a lot of times in a lot of states, funding is dependent on these external on the paper things that Suzanne was describing, like graduation rates and, you know, regents pass rates. You know, we have these high performing school and and that's reflective of how many AP classes they offer and how many IB classes they offer and how many college credits can your high school student attain while they're still, you know, in their sophomore year. And, you know, what exactly does high performing mean? I want to know what is the definition of high performing when these kids get out and they have no idea how to function with their emotions. They have no emotional intelligence. And in order to do that, we need to disrupt, I love that word, what's happening with the adults because the system perpetuates and begets more stress and anxiety and frustration because that's the world that the teachers and the adults are living in. So shifting our focus of what we really value is going to be essential, but it's going to take time and it's going to take a lot of disruptors like the six of us who are sitting in this room right now. So I'm ready for it. Let's do it. Yeah, I like that. Instead of a high functioning or what is it? High what? You high say? performing high schools. Performance. I think we still need some high feeling. High I feeling schools. Yeah, you know, or like high functioning schools. I mean, Suzanne, I, I, I really... It. Right. That that resonated with me because I go into some of these districts sometimes and they, you know, wear this high performing thing as as a badge of honor. But then you look at their kids and the parents and what they value and the communities that they live in. And it's just hustle, 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 keeping up with the Joneses. Are you going to Stanford? Are you going to Yale? Are you going to Harvard? It's for what? For what if you can't self-regulate, if you have no idea how to write, you know, manage your emotions, how to interact with people, what does a high SAT score matter? How did that serve you in the pandemic? These are difficult questions that we need to be asking ourselves and creating safe spaces and universal language to have these conversations is essential. Absolutely. And I had Dr. Michelle Borba on this podcast, who's only written 700 best-selling books. She's amazing. And one of the things she pointed to was the, drop, the, the college dropout rate is out of control because these kids have no clue how to live because they've been literally nose to the grindstone, working, working, working. And then they get to college and we drop them up. The mother set up the dorm room perfectly. It's all perfect. All the comforters, everything, that, everything. That, bye. And then they literally lose their minds because they don't know how to be a human. So that is a, a huge thing. Dana, what do you want to say? No, I'm just, I'm pointing to myself. I mean, I'm literally, like, <laughs> I'm like literally that person. I, I tell this story quite often that I went to the University of Wisconsin. I didn't think I was going, I was getting into college. My SATs were horrible. I had severe test anxiety and the amount of kids that I work with either to get them, you know, in the prestigious 
you know, Hunter Elementary School in New York City to the most upscale private schools across the U.S. and globally, it's like, what's your intention behind it? Right. I tell the story literally of getting a seven on my geography 127 class my freshman year and no one believed me. And I was like, I got a seven out of a hundred. Like, I didn't know how to study. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to balance life. I didn't know when I was coming or going. And the more, I mean, first of all, Suzanne, I love the fact that, that you threw on disruptor because that is my word for the year, disruptor and trailblazer. So, and my dad says it to me every day. He's like, what have you done today? Where are you going? What'd you throw up? Like, so I, I love it because I used to be a scared person. Like people were scared of me of like what I was going to be doing and saying, and I don't care anymore because I know that if I do it and I say it, it's meant that it's impacting someone along the way. And at least one child is going to experience something different. And then maybe one educator is going to experience something different. And I think it's really important that we come down to checking in with our egos. You know, I think that's one of the biggest struggles is that, I've done all this work for so long, which is why I was so emotional when I said to you, I thought, like, I thought Muse was a dream. Like, I didn't know that it could literally exist. Like, I did not, like, every time I would strive for it, somebody would come and knock me down. Why? Because of their ego. It's scary to move forward. We have to move forward. Whatever wasn't serving us, either in our childhood or in our, and even in our adulthood, we have to change that. There's no way we can create an inclusive and accessible environment for all to belong if we're not doing it. And so it's really important that we go in and we find a way. And it's amazing what Jen's doing, going into the schools and Sarah also like teaching fear, like these concepts, no one was talking about that. You know, our professional development was get out the teacher's college. What's the latest unit you're on? I never followed teacher's college, the amount of letters in my file I got for not following the curriculum, you know, and it's like shocker, Jen, right? The amount of like, I didn't follow my lesson plans. Sorry. You know, I mean, I was also the girl in student teaching that got a B because I diverged from my lesson plans because the kids needed something else. Like who gets a B in student teaching? I did. Probably, <laughs> right? Like Probably. You know, it's, those, Probably. it's those things that we have to really think about. And I, I think, you know, Liz, you doing this podcast, you reaching out to people to have these conversations, that is how we are going to make the change. It's the people that are listening and the people that are like, wait a second, that's my child. You're describing my child. Absolutely. Well, let's end it on a positive note because even though we're going to disrupt and blow things up, let's talk about the positives. What do you think the positives are from what we've learned from the pandemic, Stacey, I'm coming to you first. What do you feel like the positive takeaways are that we've learned as parents or as educators or both in this time? During the pandemic, I'm, I was thankful I didn't have a child at home trying to teach them that I can say that honestly, because I, in my business, I own a salon, a spa and a boutique, and I interact with a lot of adults and a lot of children. And my takeaway through all of that was that everybody was struggling. I talked to a lot of teachers, they were struggling, parents were struggling, and children were struggling. And I love what Jen said when she opened up, you know, our the school system was kind of developed how long ago, and it's not changed much. And we have changed as a society and changing more because we are 
blowing stuff up now and we're not shoving kids in boxes anymore. And there needs to be more options. And I think the pandemic really, really exposed that, that we cannot do things just one, two, three, four, five. Like we cannot do things like that anymore. There needs to be other options for different situations. Options and flexibility. 100%. And I had to learn that in my own business. And my, you know, I had to shift. I had to do many things differently. I was, you know, I own a boutique. I had to do deliveries to people's houses. I did porch pickups at my business to stay afloat. You have to be flexible. You have to bend. You have to flex to survive, to keep up, to move forward, to grow. Agree, agree. Sarah, any positive takeaways that we've learned, you know, through this pandemic about our kids, the way they work? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I feel like for my own kids and my students that I teach that they can do hard things. That wasn't easy to go from in classroom, in person to having to change to online and maybe not knowing how to use Zoom to not knowing how to submit, you know, through Google Classroom or whatnot. But they really Thrived and they succeeded in doing something that no no other group has ever had to do before. And they did it well. And although, yes, we can complain about it and say that it wasn't perfect, our kids, they did a great job. They did the best that they possibly could given the resources that they had. And they were able to pivot and they too had to think outside of the box. So for them, maybe it it was a struggle and it was hard, but it was also an opportunity for them to learn and to grow and expand and to look back and be like, wow, look at all the amazing things I accomplished that I never would have known how to do until I'm 42 years old. Absolutely. Jen, Miss Rafferty, what do you think? So I'm smiling because, you know, some of the things that Sarah said resonated with me. I think that people who were able to see this pandemic as an opportunity uh, and were able to take it saw that it was a time for reflection and an identity shift. And I'm not saying that it wasn't hard. It was hard. There were a lot of uncomfortable growth is uncomfortable and we can do, but we can do hard things. And if, you know, you looked at this and fell into victimhood, you didn't actually learn anything. But if you looked at this time as an opportunity for change and shifting, there were so many new places and spaces that you could go where you could literally zoom out and see this global community that we were a part of. And those people who took advantage of that, and I was one of them who took advantage of that, I made so many new connections. I made a ton of new friends from all over the world, I was able to change the way I saw myself within a larger global community and shift my role and made a lot of, um, it had a more clarity to what was important to me, what my professional mission was and how I was going to, to do that and modeled it for my own kids. Bravo, Jen, well said. Dana. What do you think? What are some positive takeaways that we've learned over this crazy ass 15 year pandemic? <laughs> it's only 15 years. Every time I talk to you, the pandemic's grown like it's longer, yeah, doesn't it? five years. Tomorrow it's gonna be 20, it's gonna be seven. Yeah, tomorrow's gonna be like a hundred years. It's totally yeah. cool. Yeah. I think to Jen's point and to Sarah's point, I think you know the and, and to, to Stacey's too, the flexibility and the opportunities 
the opportunities I have seen people grow together. You know, my belief that the pandemic really needed to be called physically distancing and socially gathering, because to Jen's point, I have friends that I never would have imagined. I am now, I can't like, I'm going to celebrate it because I'm working on celebrating myself. Like I'm an international phenomenon now at this point, after being on so many podcasts within nine months, like it blows my mind. Like, I'm like, I never would have had those opportunities to meet people and speak with Australians the way that I've spoken with them or people, you know, in Turkey right now. Like, it's just such a brilliant opportunity to learn and grow and expand. And most importantly, to see how similar we all are. And that's the piece that we have to come home to. Like, we have to remember, what are we doing? And why are we doing it? And let's build that connection. Let's foster that connection and let's compassionately show up. And I think that's just, I think that's has been a beautiful experience. Absolutely. Okay, Suzanne, bring it on home. Give us some positives. We need something happy to end on that note. We need happy things. Well, everything everyone just shared is beautiful. I think we have stepped into this um we were forced, we were like gently forced into this expansion. I see it, this, my C words are community and connection. And the whole idea for when I looked at Muse or when I looked at my own family at that time, under all of these conditions that were so out of our control, what it, it, we had to get creative. So how were we going to continue to be creative and connect our community, stay connected despite these seeming challenges. And we expanded. If we allowed ourselves to like let go of the fear, we could breathe into it and say, yeah, there is so much possibility here. Muse, Susie set us on a mission to create Muse Virtual. And now we have kids in Italy and in France and Texas and Chicago and all over. And now those kids are all coming together in virtual classrooms. It's, it's phenomenal. It's, we would not have pushed ourselves there yet. We would have waited. We would have said, oh yeah, we're going to do that. And we didn't, it was like, no, now is the time. Now we got to do it now. And we jumped in the deep end. There's something. So that resiliency that builds within us, that's like, yeah. And it wasn't perfect. And there was still a lot of stuff going on and fear and worry and change, but allowing ourselves to be creative and continue to grow during that is so beautiful. What a wonderful model for our kids, you know? Absolutely. Taking something that can seemingly be like, oh my God, this is the end of everything. And turning it into an opportunity is something that every kid, right, needs to see. And something that Muse models, by the way, all the time. So that's, I really, I love that, right? Taking any kid's difference or seemingly... Uh, bad quality <laughs> in the educational world or in, in their personality and turning it into, look at you, <laughs> you're amazing. So well said. So thank you ladies so much for coming on today. This was such a juicy, fabulous conversation. All started with Dana. The kids are not okay. This is the kids are not okay too. And I really appreciate your wise, wise words. Thank you ladies for joining me today. And thank you for joining me. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star written review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye.